He wasn't a boy of any more than eight years old when he was dragged unconsciously from a schoolhouse fire. A fire which ended up taking the life of his brother and one that left him so severely burned in the lower half of his body that doctors didn't think that he was going to make it either. Best case scenario, that, that he had to amputate both of his legs just to hope for avoiding an infection. But he was resolute, he was determined not to allow that to happen, and his mother didn't allow the doctors to amputate, and, and he, expect, he surpassed their expectations, and he lived. Not only that, but he was determined that despite the doctors saying that his life would be miserable without the function of his lower legs, he was determined that his legs would support his body again one day. And so one day as he was rolled out into the, the yard, he threw himself from his wheelchair. He crawled across the grass and hoisted himself up along the fence, dragging himself along the fence and doing so so frequently, so often that he ended up wearing out a path alongside that fence. And then one day, because of his his resilience, 22 months later, he stood up on his own two feet. And after that, he walked. And then he ran and ran and ran and ran until eventually one day in his life, he would end up breaking the record of the mile run. Glenn Cunningham, labeled among many as one of the greatest American mile runners, was a boy who wasn't supposed to live, a boy who then lived who wasn't supposed to walk, a boy who wasn't supposed to be able to walk who ended up being an accomplished runner because he was someone who staked his claim in history books by virtue of his determination. We love stories about determination. Don't we? we? We gobble them up. We, we can't get enough of those cases where somebody has the odds stacked against them and yet they are determined to achieve success, monumental results. We cheer them on as they are, are doggedly determined to, to climb one mountain of failure after another until they achieve, until they, they get to the top, that peak of success that is waiting for them. Movies are made about it, books are written about it, and we can't get enough. So what is it that we find so attractive about this habit of determination? Why is it that we are so drawn to it? Because it's so rare. When is the last time that, even in your own life, you were determined to do something and actually did it? Our lives are, are filled with starts and then stops. We have good intentions. We have even strong finishes. We are determined to do something only to fail to see that determination carried out. And so we, we encounter one obstacle and we, we give up. How many times just over the course of, of the, this year alone, if you are a person who sets out starting with resolutions each new year, how many of those have, have you kept? And not just resolutions, but how many of your some days I'm going to have you been caught up in 
and for how many years. The truth is that our lives are much more a reflection of why determination is so rare than they are the ideal life that, that others would want to imitate in looking to see what determination looks like. So why is, why is determination so hard to come by? Why is it so rare? Well, one of the reasons is distraction. Distraction gets in the way of our determination. And if we are going to, to really embrace this concept, this habit of His grace today, then we have to acknowledge that, frankly, we welcome distraction and even seek it out and pursue it in our lives. Why? Because it's easier to be distracted than it is to be determined. I'll say that again. It's easier to be distracted than it is determined. Netflix needs us. Facebook flirts with us. That, that suddenly all-important, out-of-nowhere-to-do list that has us whirling around the house like a Tasmanian devil, if we're honest with ourselves, is in reality a distraction from something else we determined to do. And the longer-than-normal phone call that we justify is in reality just another distraction from something else that we had planned to do. Our lives are filled with them and we embrace those distractions. Now, it's one thing if an individual wants to, to stagnate through life, denying that those are self-imposed distractions and continue blaming the external world for time and again when we are distracted from being determined. That's one thing until it becomes an issue in one area of life. When we allow those distractions, that lack of determination to get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. That is when it becomes a problem. And what we have to watch out for, again, is notice that these distractions aren't inherently wrong or sinful or bad. They only become so when they start to impede either the maintenance of or the growing of in our faith and our relationship with Jesus. Satan is more than adept at, at using normal human considerations as distractions from being determined in that regard. He did that very thing with Peter. As you noted how Peter and Jesus were dialoguing in Mark today, listen to exactly what, what Satan did to, to Peter. He, he had just heard Jesus explain to him that he had to suffer, that he was going to be rejected, that he was going to die. And Peter responded in a way that is totally a normal human consideration. In fact, if we were in his shoes and knew what he knew, we'd probably do the same thing. We can't blame him for not wanting to see his Savior, his Messiah, his rabbi that he had been following around rejected and suffer and die. Nobody would want to see that. But Satan used that distraction or that, that human concern on the part of Peter to serve as a distraction from Jesus' determination. And listen to how that played out. Mark tells us in chapter 8, verses 32 and following, after Jesus had explained it, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of God men. And imagine 
if what Peter had willed to happen actually would have happened. His rebuke to Jesus would have been heeded and Jesus would not have gone through with what was necessary. Peter, in the end, would have been the one to suffer. Not Jesus, but if Jesus didn't suffer, Peter and indeed all mankind along with him would have suffered eternally in hell. Jesus used this opportunity to to teach not just Peter, but the disciples and those who, who were near him, all who were listening, an important lesson about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. That being a follower of Jesus requires determination. Here's what happened after Jesus rebuked Peter. Mark continues in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus points out two musts, two requirements on the part of those who would desire to be his disciples. One, he must deny himself. And I don't know if there is a taller order in our culture and our society today that is built around the idea of instant gratification and pursuing whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Why did you buy that? Well, because self wanted it. Why did you shatter the sixth commandment? Because self wanted to. Why is it that you cut somebody else down with your words? Because self wanted to. Why have you allowed yourself to become so distant from your Savior Jesus, from, from his word, from worship? Well, because self has other things that are more important, other priorities in life that come before that. And we see how difficult it is, and it's to that very attitude, that mindset of serving self that Jesus warns that that's how a person loses his life for eternity. And that was only the first part of, of Jesus' equation for being a disciple of his, that, that he must first deny self, but then pick up his cross and follow him. And how difficult is that in our day and age? And I, I don't know that we are aware of it or if we've given much thought to it, but do you realize how hard it is to pick up our cross and follow Jesus with our hands so filled with everything else that we deem important and significant in this life? Indeed, we are hanging on to so much that it is piled up in front of us and we don't even realize that, that we are fumbling around, tripping and stumbling and we have so many things piled in our hands that we can't even see where Jesus is, let alone follow him. Isn't it possible, indeed, very likely, that we need to let go of some of the things in this life that we are clinging to, that we are hanging on to, in order to free up our hands to actually be able to pick up, to bear the cross that Jesus would have us carry to follow him. Put it down. Let it go. If it doesn't serve our relationship with Jesus, if it doesn't enable us to, to follow him as his disciples, then let's let go of it so that we can see where he is and follow in his footsteps. 
Indeed, it's, it's a tall order. And if Jesus' requirement for being a disciple is what we must do, that we must deny self and we must pick up our cross and follow him, if that requirement is what is needed to be a disciple, then we are all doomed. We can't meet that must. So don't forget what Jesus taught first in these verses from Mark. In chapter, uh, same chapter, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus must be rejected and suffer. Jesus must be killed and rise again. See, our must leaves nothing but a mess, but when it comes to Jesus' must, now there is one that we can trust. Jesus recognized that he must do these things because we cannot. The requirements of discipleship can't ever be met by us. There isn't enough determination in any one of us, no matter how hard we try, no matter how dedicated or committed we are, to ever meet that standard of being Jesus' disciple. So Jesus met that must for us. Jesus was determined for us. Jesus was not going to be okay knowing that our inability to follow as his disciples, to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross, to know that the only outcome was going to be eternal separation. So Jesus knew that he must do something so that hell was not going to be what was waiting for all mankind. Jesus knew he must step in and be determined in our place. And he did. Gaze up on the cross on Good Friday. There you see him. There you see your Savior. There you see salvation. There, that, dear friends, is what determination looks like. Jesus must and he did for you. Because on our own, we could never be determined enough to meet the qualifications to be worthy or deserving of any good gift from God. But in his grace, he was determined to fulfill and to carry out every must, every requirement that was necessary for us. And so now we look to establish this habit of his grace, determination, and implement it into our lives as much as we possibly can with God's help by his grace. And a warning that Jesus ends this section of also serves as guidance for us. In the last verse, verse 38, he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. It's not Jesus' teaching, it's not Jesus' words, it's not scripture that is shameful. It's rather this world's view of, of what is, is ugly, what is bad, what is wicked, what has been turned upside down and called good. Bad is good, good is bad. This world has, has traded in faith for filth, and the result is that it makes faith look like filth by its standards, 
by its perspective. And you know this to be true when you find yourself dealing with somebody that, that doesn't share the same Christian faith as you do, and you almost find yourself apologetic for holding to, for believing these truths of Scripture because you know they perceive them to be offensive. But Jesus calls us to be determined, to hang on to, to cling to these truths. Be resolute, be determined, be resilient. We must hang on to these truths for the sake of our own souls, but also that the gospel might not be lost for the next generation. There is no shame in Jesus or his words, just as he was determined to carry out all that was necessary to make us his disciples so that we could call heaven our home, let us then be, be determined to follow in his footsteps. We love stories of determination. The question is, will yours, will your story be a story of determination? Will we allow God's grace to work in us? Will we seek to emulate, to imitate, and really to implement this habit of his grace into our spiritual tool belt to combine it with the faithfulness that we talked about last week? And when you combine that faithfulness with that determination, amazing things can happen. Are we going to be a story of determination and let God's grace galvanize us? as Christ's church, as God's people, as his dearly blood-bought souls, to make this season of history one in which the church, which his people, which you and I, as followers of Jesus, we let the church stand out. We let Jesus stand out because we are determined to carry out his divine determination in our own lives. May his grace equip us to see the value and the blessings of, of implementing this determined attitude as we carry out his work as his disciples with his determination.